Let me pray for us before we have a look at this passage uh, together. Let's pray. Father God, we are conscious that we are totally dependent on you, your spirit, to hear these words, not as the words of Mark, the author who wrote this gospel, but ultimately the words of you, the living God, our creator, speaking to us personally in our hearts today. Please would you do that for each of us right now, that we may see who Jesus really is and follow him today. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So what we're doing um, each Sunday through to Advent just before Christmas is uh, taking a look, going through the Gospel of Mark, chapter by chapter, focusing in on the person of Jesus Christ to see what makes him such good news for you and me today. And just look at Jesus here in this passage. What did you make of him? As he drives out this demon with such ease, as he heals this deaf and mute person with just a, a word, as he feeds 4,000 people, not 5,000, we'll get to that later, 4,000 people just with a bit of bread and a bit of fish. I mean, there really is no one else like Jesus Christ. That when people meet him, their lives can be transformed in an instant. And wherever Jesus goes, something amazing always happens. Such that here, the, the deaf hear and the mute speak. The hungry are fed and people's grief is turned to joy. Can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus Christ? And here is the claim, the claim of Christianity, that Jesus Christ is not merely a figure of history, dead and buried and gone, but that he is alive and here today with us right now. No, you cannot see him in the flesh. No, you cannot hear his actual voice. But as you see him here in this passage, in any Bible passage, just you are seeing what Jesus Christ is really like today. Reigning from heaven. As you hear these words, Bible words, you are hearing him speaking to you personally. I am here. I am alive. And I am here for you, just as you see me. Save these guys so I can save you. Your story can become their, their story can become your story. And similarly have grief turned to joy. There is no one I am not interested in. This is the good news of Christianity. This is the good news Kerry and Ilias need to take with them on the doors or in their taxi rides. This is the good news you and I are being commissioned to today as members of this church, and this is good news, Jesus Christ wants you to clearly hear for yourself. He has come for everyone. Now let's see that now from the verses. First of all, in verses 24 to 30, we see that Jesus Christ really has come for all people, Jew, Gentile, everyone. And we'll spend most of our time on this first point, so don't worry if you're thinking, my goodness, this one's going on a lot. It will speed up in the second and third point. Now, if you are familiar with Mark's gospel, you may have a sense of deja vu as you come to these three episodes. Because have we not already seen Jesus drive out demons and heal people miraculously in chapter 5? Have we not seen Jesus feed the 5,000 in chapter 6? So why the repetition? If you're with us at our Wednesday Bible handling session, you'll know that one of the key questions to ask of any Bible passage is why is the author saying this? And we know that Mark writes his gospel in a hurry. 
We know that Mark is economical with his words. It was expensive stuff, papyrus. He's not going to waste the word. Why all this repetition? Did you notice when the reading was read out where all this is taking place? Just glance down to the first verse of the passage. We are specifically told in verse 24 that Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Then we're told, if you glance across to verse 31, the first verse of the second episode, that Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. And then we are also told at the end of the passage, the last verse, verse 10 of verse 8, that Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Friends, geography does matter. I did not like geography at school. I'm not sure about you. Here's where it comes in handy, because here we see Jesus entering into Gentile territory, i.e. non-Jewish territory. And just in case we don't have our first century maps to hand or don't really know these places or what on earth where they are, have a look at verse 26 because the author Mark makes absolutely sure that we do not miss this point. This woman was a Greek. She is a Gentile. And so here we see Jesus Christ not just ministering to Jewish people, but now in Mark's gospel, we are also seeing him minister to Gentile people as well. Why is this so significant? Because back then in the Bible's eyes, humanity was split into two groups, Jew and Gentile. Has the Messiah just come for the Jew? No, he's come for Gentile too. And therefore, he's come for all people, all humanity, everyone, including you and me. Jesus Christ has come for all people. Or has he? Because this first episode does not play out the way you would expect. This woman is in desperate need. She falls at Jesus' feet in verse 25. And in verse 26, she begs Jesus to drive this demon out of her daughter. Let me just say a brief word on this. Demon possession um, is real. It could be that one or two eyebrows are raised at this point. Surely this is... And it's a mental illness, surely this is epilepsy, and um, surely there's a medical explanation for this, we know better um, today. Look, if that's you, um, I suppose one thing just to be aware of is what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, which is the belief that just because we are living in a later time in history that we are automatically, inherently more enlightened than people from previous generations. And we just need to be careful with that, because certainly people back there at this time were much more attuned to the reality of the spiritual realm than we are today in Western culture. And Jesus Christ as the incarnate Son of God, the creator of the universe, clearly affirms the woman in her understanding of the situation. And this is a very serious situation. If there's anyone here with African backgrounds, you will know how horrific demon possession can be. We don't get much detail here. You can look up chapter 9 later. A demon-possessed boy has, is, has been robbed of his speech. He's in, not in control of his body. Repeatedly thrown into fire and water as the demon tries to kill him. 
I mean, can you just imagine what it is like for this woman and this mother to see her little daughter like this? What is she, three, four, five years old? In desperate need. And comes to Jesus and falls at his feet and begs him for help. The Greek philosophers of the time, she's a Greek. The Greek doctors, they can't help. No one can help. She's heard about this man from Nazareth. Heard what he's been doing. Perhaps finally a cure for my daughter. Will you help? And what does Jesus say in verse 27? Daughter, your faith has healed her. Go in peace. The demon has gone. Is that what it says? You still awake? Is that what it says? No, it does not. What does it say in verse 27? First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And just when you think you're beginning to understand who Jesus Christ is, He throws in a curveball like this. Did Jesus Christ really just call this woman a dog? Did he really insult this woman in her desperate need like this? What is going on? This is not an insult. Jesus is not using the same word that the the Jews would often use to demean the Gentiles as they called them, unclean dirty, wild dogs. He actually uses a different word, a diminutive word, a word that we might use for pets or a puppy. And what Jesus is doing here is actually giving a very short parable. You know the way Jesus in other places would talk about him being a shepherd, humanity being sheep? Here he is describing the Jewish people as children, the Gentile people as pets, to make the point about order That just as children eat first, notice that verse 27, first let the children eat, then the pets eat. So he is saying that he has come first and foremost for the Jewish people before he comes for the Gentile people. In other words, this is not an insult. This is about Jesus being the Messiah. This is about Jesus being the true Israel. This is about Jesus Christ going to the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world and then through his death bring blessing to all nations. After his resurrection, Jesus will say, go make disciples of all nations. Oh, he's come for everyone. But there's an order. And he comes from Israel first. Women, you need to wait. Your time will come. But what is more astounding than that is actually the woman's response to Jesus. And it blows Jesus away. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I get it. I get what you're saying. The first person in the gospel to understand the parable of Jesus. You've got a priority. You're going to the cross. I get that. But you are so full of grace, so full of abundant, overflowing love. You can give me just a crumb of that grace right now. That's all I want. That's all I need. Just say the word. Just will your heart in that direction of my daughter just a bit, and I know she will be healed. And marvelously, Jesus does. And he meets this woman in her desperate need, and we're told in verse 29 and 30 that the demon has gone. Jesus Christ really has come for all people, Jew, Gentile, you, me, Every person who sees their desperate need, can I ask, do you see your need? 
before God. This woman had nothing going for her, no rights, no standing. She's a Greek, a Gentile, a woman. Back then, nothing going for her. All she has is her need, but she brings that need to Jesus Christ and falls at his feet and begs her for help. And so it is with you and me. Whatever it may be in your life that might make you think that Jesus does not care for you, is not interested in you, is not for you, will exclude you, just look at the way Jesus responds to this woman, accepts her, and know he will accept you too. If you're struggling to know what your need is before God, recognize what comes in just the very verses before. We saw this last week. Some strong words from Jesus about our heart, but it's out of our heart that comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. That is all of us, is it not? Which makes us unclean before God. We are in desperate need. But come to Jesus Christ, fall at his feet, cry out for forgiveness. He will never turn you away. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done this week. Because he has come for everyone. I wonder how many people are not at church today, or perhaps not at church, not just here, but around the world today, because of something they've done this week. And they feel rotten and impure and unclean, too much of an outsider perhaps. God wouldn't accept me. And if only they would know what Jesus Christ is really like here. Who has come for everybody, no matter who they are, what they've done. Jesus has come for all people. Secondly, Jesus has come for all people equally. Which is the main point of the repetition of these miracles. As we see him repeating the miracles, not just in Gentile territory, sorry, not just doing it in Jewish territory, but also in Gentile territory, we are seeing that he's come for Jew and Gentile equally. Have a look at verse 32. There, that is, in Gentile territory still, in the Decapolis, some people brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Now, that phrase, deaf and could hardly talk, is only one word in the original Greek, moglilalos. And that word only comes up in one other place in the whole Bible. Isaiah 35, our Old Testament reading, where we see what will happen when the Messiah comes. And do you remember some of the things that we saw in that Old Testament reading about the ears of the deaf being unstopped and the mute shouting for joy, and the blind seeing as well, and the lame, leak, um, lame leaping like a deer. In other words, this miracle here is not a random miracle. Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. He's healed a lame man in chapter 2, Jewish territory. He will heal a blind man in chapter 8, Jewish territory. But also here in chapter 7, he is healing a deaf and mute man in Gentile territory to make the simple point that he is the Messiah for both Jew and Gentile. And the blessings he brings, he brings equally for both Jew and Gentile too. A similar point is being made with the feeding of the 4,000. Mark deliberately draws parallels between the two accounts. You can read in chapter 6 of the feeding of the 5,000. Another large crowd. Nothing to eat. 
same phrases. Jesus has compassion on them, same motivation. But Mark also highlights the differences to show these are two separate incidents. Less people, 4,000, more loaves, less food left over. But the most obvious difference of all is that Jesus is feeding here Gentile people. He's not just the living bread for the Jews, he's the living bread for the Gentiles too. Both eat, both are satisfied, both have an equal place at the Messianic banquet. Jesus has come for all people equally. Did you know that Christianity is the most ethnically and culturally diverse religion in the world? There is no debate about that. In his book, Whose Religion is Christianity, Lamin Sana, an African from Gambia, has shown that whereas Islam has never lost its culture and geographical center in Saudi Arabia, such that Muslims all turn to face Mecca when they pray, Interesting, Ilias talking about having to learn, he read it in the original language. Uh, Hinduism, despite being 3,000 years old, still focused in North India. Buddhism, 88% in a certain bandwidth in the world. Christianity has uniquely spread into all types of cultural and geographical regions around the world. Today, around 22% of Christians in South America, 22% in Africa, 20% in Asia, 20% in Europe. This wonderful breadth of cultural and ethnic diversity. Why is that? Simply because Jesus Christ has come for all people equally, Jew, Gentile, Asian, African, European, American. Equal blessing, equal welcome at God's table. Now, this has really important implications for us as we think about mission as we do today with Karen Ilias going on the doors, with us looking to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Let's make sure that we are moving out to all people groups. It is so easy for us just to focus in on people with a similar sort of racial, cultural background as ourselves. But Jesus sends us out to all people, all people equally, because he has come for all people equally. And this has really important implications for us within the church, that all of you guys who are here with us together, that each of us feels equally welcome, an equal part of the body of Christ. We need to make sure there is no hint of any racial, cultural, um, moral superiority between us, that there's only one cultural way of worshiping God correctly. I hope you guys never think in any way that me up here as one of your pastors preaching God's word is in any way closer to God or any better than you. When it, you know, we all have different gifts, we have different roles, but each and every one of us has an equal status if we are trusting in Jesus Christ. And we want each of you to be experiencing that for yourself. I hope you do, and if you don't, please speak to me and Pete afterwards. Jesus has come for all people equally. Final thing to see from this passage is how Jesus has come for all people equally. He has come lovingly, in love, in compassion, identifying with us in the deepest possible way. Jesus knows his Old Testament scriptures, spent the first part of his life reading them, studying them, he knows the prophecies about the Messiah, the Messiah who he claims to be. He knows Isaiah 35, that the, leap, that the deaf are going to hear, that the mute are going to speak. But just because he knows that and wants to prove that to people, he doesn't treat people like projects, 
It's not like he's going around and he goes, oh, look, there's a deaf person. Oh, and he's mute as well. Oh, I can kill two birds with one stone. Stand up, deaf, mute person. Hey, everyone, look at this. Look what I can do. Shh, ta-da, I'm the Messiah. We don't see Jesus treat the, like that at all. Did you notice like the humanity of Jesus in this passage and the detail that Mark includes? Look at verse 33. After Jesus took him aside, away from the crowd... Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, which you might think, that's a bit weird. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. You know, oh, that's a little bit disgusting. But Jesus is entering into this man's suffering. Just imagine what it's like to be deaf and mute and in a culture back then where maybe he's been made of a, a spectacle of throughout his life. And so Jesus draws him away from the crowd. This is personal. This is intimate. He puts his fingers into the man's ear holes to feel the way the ears are unblocked and he can't hear. He touches the man's tongue that can't speak to be with him and identify with him, with his suffering. And in verse 34, Jesus looks up to heaven and we read about him giving out this deep sigh. Clearly, this is not for the man's benefit. The man can't hear. He's deaf. This is just the natural outpouring of Jesus' heart. How, how he aches for this man, the pity he has on him, the compassion he has towards him. And it's that same compassion that leads him to feed the 4,000. And it's the same compassion that Jesus has today. And all the suffering in this world and any suffering that you are facing right now a deep sigh, a deep identification with you. And you know, there's something deeper to see here, just how far this identification goes. Because in that, in that Isaiah 34 passage, and we'll have it come up now, just before those two words, verses about the eyes of the blind being opened, look at what we read should happen. God will come, he'll come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So where's the retribution? We see his love, Jesus' love. We see his compassion. We see his power and his authority for the good of others. But we don't see any vengeance or retribution. Why is that? Because ultimately that retribution, that vengeance will fall upon Jesus Christ at the end of Mark's gospel as he is hanging on a cross and dying for you and for me. As he says that deep sigh, he knows what it's going to cost to bring the blessings of the kingdom for all people and for you and for me. It's going to cost his very life as he pays for your sin and my sin and the uncleanliness of our hearts and all the moral, cultural, racial superiority that we show towards one another. He pays for it all. So we can be forgiven by God, equally forgiven, equally welcome, and equally satisfied. That is who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you. Now, that is how you individually, personally, can know that Jesus Christ has come for you. Because you may not have experienced an exorcism. You may have not experienced a miraculous healing. You may, may have not been fed like this. But every one of us here, each and every one of you, have had Jesus Christ sacrifice himself for you.
his death 2,000 years ago. No historian doubts that. Space-time history, that death was a death for you. For your sin, for everything that separates you from God. And so anything now that you think, oh, I can't, can't come to God, he's not interested. No, it is gone, it's been paid for. He has dealt with it. Such if you come to Jesus or come back to Jesus today, you can, be, you can know for sure you are loved, you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are welcomed. And he wants us to sh show that same equal love and welcome to others. Well, let, let me stop there. Let me pray for us and pray we'd go out today doing just that. Let's pray. Father God, we often pray when it's a Lord's Supper day that we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under the table. But you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy and how we thank and praise you for your mercy shown to us in the death of your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank and praise you for your love, your compassion, your care, your interest in us that you would go to that lens identify with us that deeply that you would take our sin upon your shoulders, taste death and hell for us, separated from your Father so we could be forgiven and accepted and welcomed. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to see that as an eternal truth, experience it deep in our hearts, that it will transform the way we view others, that we may show that same love, same acceptance, same welcome to others as you send us on mission this year. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.